Well, welcome back to Guerrilla Discipleship. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Baker, and today we'll be concluding a three-part series of interviews that uh, were conducted between myself and Doug Kazoo. Doug, as you know, uh, has been working with Crew to help churches plant churches. He's done some church planting over in China, Asia, and uh, he has been asking questions about what it looks like to do disciple-making movement uh, in transitioning churches around disciple-making movement uh, principles here in North America. So I'm so glad that you've joined us. Thank you for being a part of this. And um, it's going to be, a, a, I think, an exciting conclusion to this three-part series of interviews with Doug. Let's get right to it. When you b began to monitor your DMM groups, uh, how is that best facilitated for you? Did, did you have a, a staff person ever see them? Did you personally ever see them? or? Well, so uh, that's been a struggle for us in a, in a variety of ways. And uh, so over the last two years, we our staff, the staff of our church has gone from 23 to 13. Um, and uh, part of what uh, all of those, none of those departures were, there's no anger, there's no problem. They were, you know, things like uh, our associate pastor got offered his own church. So he took that church. He's in fact, he's taking the DMM model to the new church that he's at. We've had our small groups pastor, uh, her, she and her husband moved to Florida for family reasons. And so she's working at a church down in Florida. So we've had a variety of staff leave uh, all for those kinds of reasons. But because of COVID, we've chosen not to rehire right now. We've said, hey, we have, and, and it's not just COVID, in the disciple-making model, you're not, it's not as staff heavy as, as other models. In fact, I mean, ultimately a DMM model is not a staff model at all. Uh, if you wanted to run a pure disciple making model. Sure. So as we've tried to transition, what we've decided to do is just put a hold on hiring. Uh, unless we absolutely need, we did have a, our facilities manager went to go pastor a church. He's one of the guys I was just telling you that, uh, and we needed a new facilities manager. So we did replace that. But a lot of the positions we haven't hired, we've just said, let's pause on this. We're not running the way we were before. Um, but that's left us with a bit of a hole in some of the follow-up on this. So, and I, again, I want to say this, tracking disciple-making. In the new model, disciple-making is always happening away from you. And it is hard to track. The best way to track it is by having people in coaching. Because they come to a weekly coaching meeting where they're talking about what's going on in the groups that they're leading or the, the group that they're a part of. And you can ask, you can sort of track that way. How many conversations are you having? How many? So we, all of, and, and all of the, the disciple making movement people, the DMM people that I know, in fact, if you look at, for instance, Chris Galanos's website, uh, e, e, Experience Life, E-Life Church's website, he, he, Chris is the one that trained us. Um, he'll say when it, when it comes to things like spiritual conversations, there'll be a little asterisk that says, uh, these are probably underreported and, and they are because you can't keep track of all the spiritual conversations. Okay. You can't keep track of all the discovery group, uh, dis, you know, discovery group invitations that are, but we try to track that as well as we can. Um, part of how what we coaching, how, how often have coaching is it, is it weekly, bi-weekly, we have, monthly? we have, we have, uh, we will start in October. We'll have three different coaching times 
internal to our church uh, per week. So you can come uh, to one of those coaching times. Okay. Uh, some of us are also having outside coaching. We, we are like, I'm still in, uh, I do coaching every week with Chris um, because, and, and I, it's absolutely necessary to have this ongoing coaching to continue to understand the principles and the deploying of it and to just have accountability for moving through the process. And so uh, coaching isn't, I think we, I think we have this model of coaching in the West. It's like, I need some expert to come in tell me what I need to know. And then once I get some, some of that, I'll go away. That's really not what coaching is in the, in the discover in the disciple making model. Coaching is just ongoing accountability for how God's using me and ongoing growth with other people who are living this life together. So it's, you don't ever outgrow coaching. You don't ever become such an expert that you don't need coaching because that's, that's not what coaching is in the same way that we are used to in more professional models in the West. Yeah. It sounds kind of like Jesus and the disciples. Exactly. <laughs> when, when would they, you know, they didn't want to, to, to leave uh, uh, coaching with Jesus. He said, I'm going to give you an internal coach named the Holy spirit. That'll be with you and remind you. And we need the Holy spirit's coaching every moment. That's beautiful. When it comes to um, helping to, I guess, motivate change in the church. How have you incorporated prayer in the church? Is, is there like a big prayer staff meeting once a week? Are you uh, are the church staff, they pray in like half an hour a day? Or um, how are you guys gauging prayer in this as your church? A great question. We, we had begun. It's so interesting how God had brought some of this together. Uh, a couple of years ago, before we even knew disciple making uh, and, and the training, uh, I felt the need to get the staff together for prayer. And so we, we were praying, um, I think at that point, I can't remember if we were praying monthly uh, or weekly, but we were gathering together for at least an hour and praying. It had been weekly at that point too. This is 2016, then, right? What's that? 2016? Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, and then we hired a children's pastor and um, she and her husband, are uh, are just prayer warriors. Uh, the reality is they come out of a Korean background. They're Koreans. They come out of a Korean church background. And uh, exactly. I, I hate to be stereotypical, but can I just tell you the church in Korea and Korean followers of Jesus know how to pray. And so they began to pray uh, even before we had done anything. And it was their request. They just said, we are, we're going to pray every week for kids ministry. And we're going to pray uh, in the building here and anybody can come. And they started, when they started, uh, they had like one or two parents coming. Um, well, as we went through some of the changes of disciple making and realized that we had not, we had really given too much, hadn't given enough importance to prayer. Um, we all began to go. And so that time of corporate prayer on Wednesday evenings began to be a congregational prayer time. And so we've multiplied that out, but it's just been a beautiful thing that it was almost like God said, hey, you're going to need this. I'm going to get you ready. You don't even know what a need you have yet, but I'm going to get you ready for that. Um, we, I, we have never been this prayerful. I've never been this prayerful as a pastor, and we've never been this prayerful as a church. We don't move without saying, hey, we've got to spend some time praying about that. We've got to let God, God's the one involved in this. 
And if God's leading us there, then we've got to get we've got to get lined up with His heart and get our hearts where His perspective is. And so, um, you just you're not going to see any fruit out of disciple making without concerts of prayer. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do, and just continue to grow that. Yeah, it's funny you said that. In, in Beijing, I would frequently attend a Korean service. It's all in Korean. And uh, because I was a relationship with the pastors and the elders there. And first day I'm there, they prayed for about 20 minutes. Yeah. I looked at my watch. I mean, they were groaning, crying, literally crying. The guy I just, I mean, women would get up and you know, the Koreans, they dress very nice. Yeah. You know, you know, they had the fur coat on, the makeup, running makeup. I'm going, did I do church wrong for the last 20 years? Like, holy cow. I was like, yeah. this is so neat. Yeah. yeah. It's true. very easy to preach in that Korean church because it's just, <laughs> just, it's just easy. It's fun. Hey, when I went to South Korea, I, I was invited to go over and uh, we visited with two churches. This was years and years ago. Uh, I mean, uh, when I say it that way, it's probably 10 years ago. Um, one of the pastors of a fairly large church there in South Korea said, I want to, I wanted a tour of his building at a very beautiful building. I said, can I just, you know, would you just give me a tour? And he said, yeah, we were walking around. He said, I want to take you down the basement. And he called it the engine room. He said, I want to take you down to the engine room of our church. And I said, that'd be great. I thought maybe he meant the furnace room. Um, so we go down there and there's a, a, a hallway with about eight rooms, four on each side, uh, very small rooms. And he said, uh, and, and the, the little lobby in front of this place uh, had two cots in it. And he said, this is the engine room of our church. And uh, it was the prayer place. And he said, we do 24 hour prayer here. People sign up, they come in. He said, some of the older folks in my church, the, the folks in their 60s, 70s and 80s, take the 3 a.m. and they will sit and pray. They will just, and they had little mats and they just knelt down uh, and for an hour would pray for the ministry of that church. He said, this is what makes everything happen here. Way cool. Way cool. Not, not, uh, not the model that most of the U.S. church is following. Yeah. I have two more kind of, kind of questions here. I want to try to get through and honor your time with less than an hour. Yeah. Um, one is uh, finding persons of peace. How do you find persons of peace in the church, and and you know how many different you know, like you might use different channels, different avenues to find them? But how do you how do you how do you make that an, how do you make that an emphasis of the church? Well, you've got to teach the process, and and most of that is so foreign to uh, I would say ninety eight percent of American Christians, unless they've been on the mission field or had some training. Most even though uh, I think the concepts are right there in scripture, most Christians in the church in the West today would go, what's a person of peace? I have no concept yeah. about what that is. And, and so you've got to teach and train and show them out of, uh, out of the gospels, how Jesus in, uh, invited people to their, his disciples to go out and look for persons of peace. So persons of peace are out in the world, right? They're, they're lost people. They're people that are far from God, but they're people that God is already at work in who, who God is already lined up and wants us to go. He's prepared them. When Jesus sent the, the disciples out, he said, look for a place that will welcome you, right? Look for this person of peace, this place where they're going to they're gonna be. And, and the definition in disciple making, of course, is a person of peace is woolly. They're welcoming. They open their oikos. They open their people group to you, and they're willing to listen. 
And so uh, they're all over the place. But what the way that we understand it, and I can't say that we've been that successful with finding a person to peace yet. We've we've begun uh, to go out. We've begun to be obedient to what God's doing. But I, I think part of what it is, is praying and saying, God, where are you sending us? Where are you sending us? Where are you already at work so that we can go? And then going out and basically opening the door through just starting spiritual conversations, living a Shema lifestyle of serving uh, and blessing people and seeing who is welcoming and who says, oh, my gosh. So you you know, you've got a person of peace when, uh, as you say, could I pray for you? And they are so anxious for that conversation. And then they say, uh, would you come back and pray for my whole family? You're beginning to get the idea that you may have a person of peace because they're opening their family up. And then if you say, why don't we do a discovery group? And they say, oh my gosh, not only my family, but I'm going to invite my neighbors. And when we want to listen, now you've begun to get that person of peace. So the only way to find a person of peace is to pray and then to go. Uh, it really is it. And then to wait to see who God, who, and, and they're going to probably be. And you're training your, your, your church members to do this. Yes. And you're reminding them about the importance of doing this. I assume at, a, at a, some type of regular, you know, once a, once a month you remind them or you're, it's, it's on the walls or it's. We're tr- exactly. We're trying to, it's on our website. We're trying to remind them every opportunity that we can, uh, that we can get. But this is a hard concept for, for I think, U.S. Christians to get. It, it's a slow, this has been one of those slow, the idea of a person of peace. Um, they've been willing to have spiritual conversations. They've been willing to pray for people. They've been willing to engage with people in discovery groups. But getting them to understand this person of peace concept has been slower. I, I, I don't know that I feel like we've been... Um, successful yet in that concept, but we're, we're, we're talking about it all the time, helping them to understand it. And uh, so we'll see, we, we found what we call believers of peace. And that is, as we've gone out and prayed, we found people who are already, yeah, exactly. They're followers of Jesus living in a community, not doing much about sharing their own faith, but are willing to partner with us. And so we've been calling them believers of peace who are saying, hey, I live here and I want to join what you're doing. Uh, but a, a person of peace is, is probably more technically someone who's not even a believer yet, but who will open up the door to listen to the gospel and listen and discover God's word together. Uh, so we're, we're on, the, on the beginning side of that. Yeah, bop and pop. That sounds like a yeah. Korean... Um... <laughs> um, hip hop band, I see. Exactly, that's right. <laughs> or a Korean dish, uh, bean, 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 bean pop. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we got bops and pops. Yeah, yeah. That's that's fabulous. That's a great. I, I've not heard it before. That's great. Um, and I guess uh, lastly is um is I'm trying to pull together best practices and wisdom from so many practitioners out there. Do you have people that could recommend that you could recommend me contacting and then going the same questions again? And then, um, you know, I have to transcribe it. It's just like, oh, boy. sure. But um, would you know of, of other DMM pastors that are that are transitioning from a traditional church to a DMM methodology? Um, 
I, the, the pastors that I know that are transitioning um, are fewer and far. I know some pastors who are just who have either relaunched, but I've got a couple of, of names. One is a guy that I just met, uh, actually. Uh, he's in Colorado. Um, his name is Jeff Crabtree. And uh, I'd be happy to, to see if I can get you guys connected through email so that I think he'd be happy to talk with you. And um, he is, uh, in some respects, has been living in the, the DMM world a little longer than I have. Uh, on the other hand, uh, when he and I have talked, I think that he's taken a little slower approach to transitioning his church, but he is transitioning his church and it, he would be a great person to talk to. The other people, like uh, I think we've talked about before, um, Bill Lakey, I think is uh, his wow. name, Blackie. He's, he just created a DMM church model. Uh, and so, you know, uh, I'd have to think more about some other names of who are transitioning. We are raising up a bunch of folks that we've trained who are in the early stages of transitioning. Um, I'd be happy to think through that group, but right off the top of my head, I'm not sure anybody's far enough yet to even be able to answer the questions for you. I think they're asking the questions you're asking and trying to figure out how to do it. But I'm let me think through that some more and I may be able to get you another name or two. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think this is the most important dissertation in America right now. Because there are tens of thousands of God-honoring, God-fearing, great, wonderful pastors, ministry leaders out there who have never been taught how to do ministry before. And they want change, but they don't know they're like you back in 2015, there's yeah. a holy unrest and they don't know what, they don't even know what to call it yet. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And, and they need, they just so need this. And, and I asked, I've, I've had many interviews with Will Moran. Uh, we've had many talks and I've asked him, how many pastors do you know? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How many academics do you know that are teaching DMF in a Bible college or, or a Christian university? He's like, you only give one name. Yeah. And that was a maybe. You know, if I were, and I, I think I may have told you this before, I reached out to the dean of, uh, of one of the, I won't say what seminary, but one of the seminaries in the country that I happen to have a, a relationship with. And, and I, I, I didn't follow up well with it, but I said, listen, uh, for your doctoral students or even for your MDiv students, uh, you give me eight weeks and, and I would love to take them through a training that might be more important for them than all of their seminary combined. Um, and he and I have not followed up, but I agree with you. I don't, I think we need to, this is, this is, um, it's interesting that academia is a little bit lagging behind on this, but this is going to have to be what we Criminal. train, how we train pastors to do ministry. Criminal. Yeah. And yeah. Negligent. And, and it just, anyway, so let's, let's switch my room. So, you know, yeah. this, this is the first dissertation that I know of, that I've seen, that I've researched, that actually is uh, about DMM in America. There, there hasn't there's been one yet. Yeah. Well, let me pray for you and uh, pray yeah. for the, the work that you're doing, because uh, I, I want to see it take place, and I agree with uh, with your heart on it. So can I, by the way, Doug, who's Tyler? That's my wife. Ah, uh, all right. She's she kind of like Tylenol. She's my pain. Oh, uh, pain reliever. There you go. You're her pain, and, you, and she's the reliever. All right, let me pray for you, brother. Father, I just want to thank you for this time with uh, with Doug. And I thank you for Tyla, his wife, 
Father, I just want to ask God as he pursues this dissertation and uh, that, Lord, not only would it be that you'd give him effectiveness and that you would give him uh, just the connections that he needs as he's doing the research, that, Father, it would produce uh, the fruit of it would produce uh, a change in how we're training pastors, what's happening in the seminaries across the, the country, that, Father, this might be just the breaking edge of something that would open the door for a whole new model of ministry in the United States and in the West. Lord God, thank you for Doug, his persistence. Thank you for wrecking our lives, God, mine and Doug's. Thank you for introducing us to these concepts and the paradigm shifting that we've had to take on. And Lord, uh, I just pray your blessing. Uh, there's a lot of transitions in Doug's life, uh, house to moving houses and, and all of the work that he's doing. So God, would you just open the right doors, bless he and his wife and his family and watch over this work. And we pray for it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much again for joining us for this series of uh, interviews and always, as always, just being a part of Guerrilla Discipleship. You know, if there's information that you want or, or topics that you want discussed on Guerrilla Discipleship, feel free to reach out uh, to me at Kevin Baker, or excuse me, K Baker at Oakdale.church. Uh, that's my email, K Baker at Oakdale.church. Uh, and I would encourage you also to know that, boy, we've got a long way to go as we're figuring out these transitions to be more effective followers of Jesus, disciple makers, and kingdom builders here in the North American context. And so I'm glad you're with us for this uh, journey and hope you'll come in and be part of this next week with us as well. God bless. See you then.